0: Back to throw. In trouble. He's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs. Gets away again. Goes to the 40. Gets away again. To the 35. Cuts back at the 30. To the 20. The 50. The 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers.
1: Welcome to another episode of the 49ers Webzone No Huddle Podcast. He's Al. I'm Zane. We got a victory podcast for the first time in a month and a half. It feels good to just get a W on the board. I know I know what I was going to say after I say this, but it just feels good to win. Like I like winning more than I hate losing. But it's just I they were in such bad shape over the past month and a half. Just to see them in the win column, I think I take this for what it is. Like I don't know if this is a, this is an indication of things to come. But it was a nice story that Jimmy Garoppolo got to start in his hometown in front of his, over a hundred of his family and friends, got the win, and the Niners are still somewhat in the mix for the last playoff spot, the wild, the last wild card playoff spot. But I don't know if this is something they can carry forward. It was a very bad Bears team that they beat that was without their head coach, who had COVID and was not was not there on the sidelines. So. And it's a team that they frankly really struggle with in the first half. So I don't know how much you can take away from this, but it was a typical, wildly inconsistent performance that we've come to expect from this team. But, Al, as we talked about in the last few weeks, like when they do poorly, we're going to criticize them. And when they do things well, we're going to praise them. So I want to talk about some of the things that they did well, right? Like Specifically the second half of the game. I had to go back and rewatch it because I wasn't available on Sunday to watch the game. But they look like a different team in the second half. Specifically, after the Bears had their first possession, and and the Niners got a chance to get the ball back, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo seemed to be kind of he, the handcuffs were taken off a little bit. The running game really started going. Elijah Mitchell has been a great find, and if if you ever wanted to say that Raheem Mostert was expendable, like Elijah Mitchell looks like he's the guy that can maybe step in there and, and and spell him for a little bit until you find another another guy to pair with him with Trey Sermon kind of not getting time. But there was a lot to be happy with. Like Brandon Ayuk got more involved, Debo after a few drops in the first half, looked like the consummate sort of pro that he's become. And they finally looked like they were right for the first time, I think, since
0: the the Detroit game to end a game. They looked like they were finishing a game the right way. This is how I saw it, Zane. I saw a team in the first half that looked a lot like the team that has had all these issues, right? Sloppy play, drops, penalties. And we'll get into some specifics on that as we talk about what they need to do moving forward. But the first half, it was the same thing for me. And at the end of the first half, I didn't really like the way that Kyle managed the clock. I know he didn't want the Bears to get the ball back. I know the Bears, Bears were moving the ball. But at some point, you got to push the ball downfield. I mean, you're afraid of the Bears. They had 10 offensive touchdowns coming into this game. So I didn't like mm-hmm. the way he handled the clock there. But I guess Jimmy and Debo kind of bailed him out. and Jimmy hits that long ball. Pass we've been screaming for him to try to throw. A pass we've been mm-hmm. screaming for him to make. It was a great throw. To Debo. It was a yep. great throw, but then <laughs> the full Jimmy experience, the next throw, or I don't know if it was the next throw or two plays later, whatever it was, but he, he has Debo open in the end zone and he makes crappy throw. So a good throw, a bad throw. And you're like, here we go again, settle for the field goal. Now where I thought this game turned. And I honestly, I thought it was a season saving play. You have third and 19 and you're backed up at that point. I'm watching the game and I'm like, here we go. This is going to be, you know, a handoff. The draw play, I thought maybe a short screen pass, they're going to punt it away. And I'm like, Niners have no momentum. And I'm like, this is it. This is the season. And he throws a screen pass to Debo, and Debo makes the play of the year. Season saving Mm -hmm. play. And if anybody sees it any differently, I I don't know what you're looking at. It was a season saving play. It changed the momentum of the team. Changed the momentum of the game. Changed everything. After that, the Niners were hitting on all cylinders. They looked the best offensively. I think we've seen them all year. They're running the ball. Jimmy played well. Jimmy plays better to me when he plays like Tony Romo. That makes sense. Kind of when he's kind of, and there's going to be mistakes. And again, I thought he had some almost, almost turnovers in the first half. I didn't love his first half at all. Second half I did. It's kind of running around. It's kind of improvising. He's kind of got a little bit of a gunslinger in him. He looks like, he reminded me of Tony Romo in 2017. And that's kind of mm-hmm. the vibe I was getting again. So I was like, "Good for him." Overall, it was it was a good game for him. I don't know where this is going from there. I know you want to stay positive, and, and there were a lot of positives, definitely. But I'll be more positive in two weeks if if this continues. Two gigantic mm-hmm. games, two division games. If you come out of it against you're three and four right now, if you come out against Arizona and the Rams four and five, you're still in it, kind of fighting for that last wild card. But but what are you they come out three and six they're done done yeah so let, let let's see what happens in these next two weeks but yeah that second half there were things to build on we'll see if they can keep it up
1: yeah and i think you kind of hit the nail on the head there it, really the story of the forty under season is essentially going to be written in the next two weeks that's that's i always say that when you're about six weeks into the season, six to eight weeks in the season, you, you know what your team is by that point, right? Like you have exactly, you know what they are at that point. You know, if they're a contender, you know, if they're a middling team and you know, if they're out of it. So right now the 49ers are kind of a middling team. And I feel like they should be able to get a split because Kyler Murray's not playing. Arizona's got DeAndre Hopkins out.
0: Well, we don't know. Murray mm-hmm. might play
1: now. Murray might play. He might. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah I guess, I guess the latest He may. he may play, but um AJ Green got put on the COVID list, so I mean he may play as well, right? Because it's the thing where they have to continue taking tests until they get a negative. Um, so it's possible he could play, but I think that the Niners have a legitimate chance at at beating Arizona if they mm-hmm. show up like the team uh, in the second half against the Bears. They gave Arizona a hard time with Trey at the first meeting, and I, I really actually also think that it was it was kind of close because of Trey as well. They were able to control the clock. The Niners were able to control the clock a little bit with him running the ball. Mm-hmm. And, Arizona really didn't have much of an answer for a lot of Trey's runs. But I I do think that they were able to bottle up Kyler Murray well enough the first time too. And that was in Arizona. So if they can do something similar and get more offensive production, like don't be surprised if they win. And especially if Kyler Murray's out, if Kyler Murray's out, then this is a totally winnable game. It's a winnable game if he's in. But I, I will say this, that we have to kind of get beyond the idea of what's, gonna happen with uh with kyle calling soft fans and him getting into a a a groove or not because at this point it's about winning games right you don't lose you don't gain anything by losing games because you don't have a first round pick like your draft position is irrelevant at this point maybe you can say all right well if you're talking about losing games well people will say well at least you you gain draft position but i mean like that's in the second round like it should be about being the best version of yourselves that you can so that in my opinion when Trey takes over next year, they can hit the ground running and all you got to do is insert a quarterback into the situation to be able to take the team to the next level. I don't know, I don't know if they're going to get to that point this year, if they have the personnel to get to that point, but that to me should be the intent. That you should, you should have this thing humming by the end of the season, no matter what the outcome is, to the point where you could just drop Trey Lance in there next year and you can hit the ground running because the team around him is strong enough to be able to make up for whatever growing pains he's going to have. And Al, I want to ask you this. I really think that in a lot of ways, Jimmy Garoppolo probably saved his job for for a couple more weeks with that second half against the Bears. You, do you agree?
0: Yeah. I saw Grant talking about it, Cone, and I don't know where he, I apologize. I don't know where he heard it from, but said that someone heard Kyle Shanahan saying something along the lines to Jimmy Garoppolo towards the end of that half is this is simple shit. Can you do this? And Trey mm-hmm. Lance was warming up. So yeah, I think that throw to Debo may, may have saved his job at the end of the first half. And certainly the second half save his job for now. But I said so many things I want to hit on here, but I guess I'll start with this tweeted after the game. And I always come out harsh against Jimmy. I like, I I do not dislike Jimmy to me. I just keep talking about the reality of the situation with him. You know, I feel like there's so much just talk and how he did and how he played and is he turning it around? And to me, it doesn't matter because he's a, placeholder. He's not going to be there next year. You, you know what I mean? So the only way this is a success, Zane, the only way this is a success is if he gets them to the playoffs. If he doesn't, it's a disaster. So what do, what do I mean? What, what is the success? What is the bar this season? Okay. If they go mm-hmm. nine and eight and they make the playoffs and they lose in the first round of the playoffs, do so I think that's a success? Yes. And I will tell you why for a couple reasons. The first is this regime has lost 10 games or more in three of the last four years. They need to start winning consistently. And if they get in the playoffs, whether it's nine and eight or 10 and seven or whatever it is, that's a start to at least being relevant and being in the playoffs. You've only been in the playoffs four years in the last 18 years. So don't, don't scoff at nine and eight and getting in the playoffs. That's not something this team has usually done. Second thing is, well, Al, they're one and done in the playoffs. Why is that good? Playoff experience is huge, especially for young players. And even the guys who have been here, Warner, Kittle, they had one run in the playoffs. That's it. Kittle's been in the playoffs one season in five years. More playoff Mm -hmm. experience, good. Yes, it is. So if they get in there this season and go one and done, and then they go to Trey and hopefully they could build on that next year, I'm okay with that. If they go eight and nine or seven and 10 and they stick with Jimmy almost the whole way, this guy who's not going to be on the team next year and you don't get in the playoffs, that's a disaster. That's a, that's a lost season in a lot of ways. So that's what it was to me. I I tweeted out who cares with Jimmy. I don't mean I'm good for him. If he's playing well, I I want them to win games. I hope that they can go 10 and seven and he can go in a little run in the playoffs. He's not going to be here next year regardless, but at least you have a winning season that you can build on. But all this Jimmy under the microscope, who gives a shit? He's not your quarterback in 10 more games or nine more games, whatever it is, you know? So everybody's just Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. He's not going to be here in nine games. (gasps) Who who cares? Who cares? I hope he does well because yeah. I want the team to win. But he's going to be playing for somebody else next season. Why? Why are people I... so obsessed with Jimmy Garoppolo? I, I don't. I don't understand it. Is it because he, there's two sides? You know, go ahead. Is it because they're just they just like him as they're fans of his? I guess I get that. He seems, he seems like a nice guy. I've only heard nice things about him. But like, he be on the team. So why are we dissecting what he does from play to play? Who gives a shit? Just hope he gets us through nine more wins and or or whatever, five more wins. What are, they, what are they, three and four, six or seven more wins, and then good luck. See ya, but he's not going to be on the team.
1: Yeah, I think that both groups need to need to chill out. I think that the people who dislike Jimmy need to chill out, and the people who like go to all lengths to defend Jimmy also need to chill out, because like you said, he's a lame duck quarterback. That's the reality of it. He's a lame duck quarterback, and... Everybody breaking down his all twenty-two film and saying he missed this receiver. We, I mean, what's the, we know? Like we know yeah, he. Who he cares? Receiver people.
0: He is, exactly. he is. Who cares at this point? Yeah, he and is. Gonna, who cares? Like, and he's going to be doing it for another team and not in another nine games. So who who cares? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't see the purpose because like,
1: and I felt this way like several weeks ago too, Al, and and I think that for me it came out in a way in a different way, um, and and maybe it was perceived a different way, but that's essentially what the crux of my feelings were. Like it's like I don't. I don't care what he's doing now because he's not going to be here with the team next year. Mm -hmm. What I care about is them being able to execute the scheme so that everything else around him is humming and everything else else around the quarterback position is healthy and ready to go. So that when Trey takes the job, he can easily come in and not worry about like, Oh, well I'm handing the ball off to my fourth string running back, or I don't have a healthy Debo Samuel or George Kittle to throw to. Like I want Mm -hmm. him to become and, and why shouldn't you want that, right? Like, as a fan, like, people say, oh, well, it's not like that. Well, why? Why shouldn't I want that? Like, that that's the situation that I want him to be in. Like, people were talking about... <laughs> there, was a, there was a take this week, Al, about somebody saying that I'd rather lose the Trey Lance than win with Jimmy Garoppolo. And saw, to me, yeah, I that I saw was, that, right. What are we doing here? Like, what are, what we are we doing saying? when we say things like that? Like, right. what are we... Like, why... Number one, why can't we win with Trey Lance? And why can't that be a thing? I want to see Trey Lance do well and win. Why does that be like, oh, yeah, we're going to take losses, but we're going to do it in style? What? Like, that doesn't, like, you risk destroying a young rookie's confidence by constantly tossing him out there in losses and games where you're just going to get throttled. Like, that's exactly the NFL, NFL's history is littered with guys that were talented coming out of college, that were high draft picks, that could never hack it because their confidence was destroyed. Like at this point, everybody is talented out. Like every single first round draft pick mm-hmm. that has been drafted in the NFL has been talented, right? That's why they've gone there. But the difference between those guys that succeed and those guys that don't, it's not as simple as just like, oh, we're just going to throw them out there and they're going to learn. There's so many external factors to that. And there's so many intangibles like confidence and leadership and external other environmental factors like, like the drama that's happening in your locker room, all that stuff it goes into how a quarterback develops and people don't realize that they just think that, Oh, throw him out there. He's going to take his lumps and it's not going to affect him. No dude. Like, look, everybody wants to talk about Jimmy, but if you look at Jimmy in 2017 and you look at him now, he's a completely different quarterback because number one, the ACL affected him and whatever Kyle has done or not done with him has affected him as well. And that's not making excuses. That's just using an example. Look at other quarterbacks after injuries. Like they're just not, they're just not the same or other quarterbacks after a coaching change or other quarterbacks after some sort of internal rift. Mm-hmm. They're not the same because this stuff that that you can't quantify, it has effect it has an effect on people. So, I don't want to throw Trey Lance out there and have him lose six six straight games to the point where he's pressing, where he feels like he has to win a game just because he's never won. I don't want to do that. I want to put him in a situation where he's going to succeed. Like you shouldn't be playing just for the sake of playing him. Number one, everybody hopefully should be healthy by the time Trey plays, because I want him to have maximum weapons around him to help in his development. And number two, Trey himself needs to be ready as well. And what that threshold is and what, whatever, I guess, sequence of events needs to happen before Kyle feels like Trey is ready. Only Kyle knows that. So this whole idea about losing in style, this just doesn't resonate with me. And, and you know, you can call me old fashioned stuff, but it's like, you don't cheer for losses. Again, we're, we're not cheering for draft picks here. We don't have a draft pick in the first round next year. So right now it's all about making sure that the team is functioning properly and running like a well-oiled machine, regardless of who the quarterback is, so that when Trey comes in here, like you said, and, bu- and I have said it as well today, so that when Trey comes in, he can just step in there and, and they can not miss a beat and they can just kind of go off to the races from there.
0: Well, the reality is part of the reason this circus is going on is because the public flirtation, whatever else you want to call it, that the 49ers did in the offseason with that re-single quarterback yeah. with a pulse. It just is what it is. And then they make trade and Lance is probably the only QB, I guess, out of those first round picks that you would say would have had to sit. So they, they, you know, they took the one that you're developing, which is fine. If you know, it's, it's the end, it's not the beginning. So I don't have any issue with that, Mm -hmm. but you left this lame duck quarterback on the team who you tried to replace all offseason. You couldn't do it with a vet. So you did it with a rookie and the rookie wasn't ready. And now he's still here. And now it's a circus and the fan base is going crazy and it's their own fault whether it was Lynch or Mm -hmm. Shanahan or Jed York, whoever it is, it's their own fault. That's why we have this this circus right now, but it's, it's just, yeah, I think maybe some people just want it to end because it's again, just seeing through when, you you know, I'll go on Twitter a lot, especially in game day, just because I want to see what the fan base is saying and what other writers are saying and things like that. And I just can't stress. I just read the stuff about Garoppolo and I'm like, why are you guys wasting your breath? Are you going to be doing Mm -hmm. this in week 17 too, or week 18, whatever it's going to be. Oh, Jimmy did this, that, yeah. and that when he's not on the team anymore. In two weeks or whatever it's mm-hmm. going to be, You're going to be doing the same, the same, the same futile exercise. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just it's kind of starting to drive me crazy. And I think he was about to get pulled. And I think if he has another bad game, he'll be right there again. And I think if they're three and six after the next two weeks, Lance is taking over anyway because the season's over for sure. If they're four and for five, sure, and yeah. Jimmy plays like garbage. He might take over anyway. So it's just yeah. a matter of time. Um, and, and unless you're you're. You, They've been playing the way they did in the second half and you're in the thick of the playoff race. You've got to put Lance in at some point. Because I don't Yeah, if, I agree. If you get to the point where you're really not going to do much this year. And the Rams game is going to be a test to me. I know the Cardinals mm-hmm. are very good too. I know they played the Cardinals well, but I think the Rams are Super Bowl team, right? I think they're really, really good. And I know anything can happen in division games. They're always fluky. You know, division always play each other better, but I'm interested to see what the Niners do in this game. Because if they get blown out of the water and they're four and five and they lose that game you know, 38 to 20 or something and really get blown out of the water. Got to kind of look in the mirror and say, all right, what are we, you know, what are we doing this for? Are we doing this to, to go nine mm-hmm. and eight and, and get to, you know, what, do we just go to Lance? I think they really have to look in the mirror at that point. I do think, like I said, that it's, it is beneficial to get into the playoffs and get playoff experience. Um, but I guess they have to weigh that against Lance's development too. And maybe you could still get in the playoffs with Lance. I mean, most of what Jimmy's done stands the second half. I think Lance can do. I don't think he's done anything that's crazy. I don't think they've asked him to do anything that's crazy. Excuse me. I think that they can do the same thing with Lance. You know, I think you, you can run the ball. There's a concept. Mm-hmm. Run the ball. Run the ball outside yeah. on Trent Williams' side. Um, yeah. Help Trey Lance. Pound, pound the football with Eliza Mitchell and Jeff Wilson who's coming back and, and help him out. He doesn't have to throw 35 times. He can throw 20 times, 25 times, and you run, you run the ball. So there's ways that they can do mm-hmm. it. Um, So we'll see, man. And all right, I guess to 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 switch on this, there's three things that the Forty Niners I think have to improve on if this is going to be realistically anything this season. Okay, three things that they're very bad at. The first is third downs. They have a 32.5 percent third down conversion rate, which is 30th in the NFL. The second is penalties. They're penalized 77 yards per game, which is the worst in the NFL, and at home it's like 93 yards per game which is atrocious. also the worst Mm -hmm. in the NFL. They're negative six in the turnover differential, fourth worst in the NFL. If they cannot Mm -hmm. start making third downs consistently, clean up the penalties, and start winning the turnover battle, don't even be started on the drops. They're also right up there in the NFL and drop passes. If they don't clean those things up, it doesn't matter anyway. I don't care if you had a good second half. You're miserable with those three things. Basic football, that you need to clean up. And if they cannot improve on that, that's the mark of a losing team and they're not going to go anywhere. So those are the, the three big things along with drop passes that they really need to clean up.
1: Yeah. I think that the third down thing, a lot of that stems from them not winning first and second down. How many third and longs have they had? How many long, like I'm not, I'm not even talking about like, you know, third and 15, like how many 38, and third and eight, third and, nine, third and tens have they had just because yeah. they don't with win on the early downs.
0: With the penalties, yeah, it's that too,
1: exactly, and and you know penalty you back is, is is one thing, but you're just not also you're also not winning on first and second down number one because they're not like the the stat the DVOA will tell you one thing, but like the eye test kind of tells you something else, right? Where they're they're all very often behind the sticks, and you're not able to win those early downs, which puts you in a in a tough position. And I think that again, you know, with Jimmy's limitations, like he's not. Like he's just not good enough to overcome, like a third and long, for example. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those plays, Al. If you look around the league, a lot of these third and long and fourth down plays and all these these long down and distance plays, like they're plays made by athletic quarterbacks or quarterbacks that can improvise, right? Which is why I think that when you say he plays like Tony Rome, he's at his best, and I and I do believe that. But they're plays that really typically are made more often than not if you're not like Tom Brady, uh, by an athletic quarterback who can either extend the play, get a get a look downfield you know, be able to buy some time until somebody comes open and get, get another ball. And I, and I think that that's part of the reason too. Uh, do I think that Trey could extend plays? Sure. But do I think that he can find somebody downfield? And I mean, that's to be to be seen because he's, he's just a rookie and he needs to, he needs to be able to develop that trait. But I think that's part of it. Uh, the other part of it, you know, the, the penalties, man, it's just a sign of an undisciplined team. And I remember in Kyle's first couple of years, they they also used to take a lot of penalties as well. I don't remember the exact rankings from those two years. Um, maybe we can pull them up and talk about that. But I mean, like, I, I do remember that they did they did take a lot of penalties. They were not terribly disciplined. And it was one of those things where, like, they would get out ahead in games and then they wouldn't be able to finish. Again, a sign of undisciplined teams. So I think that this is just like a, a Kyle thing, right? I just think that his teams, like, they they're just not terribly disciplined. And especially when you're missing... Guys like DeForest Buckner and Richard Sherman and and guys like George Kittle on the offensive side. When you're missing your your leaders and your vocal leaders, the guys that kind of keep the other guys like the glue guys. Uh, you know, you can even throw Quan Alexander into that mix when he was not physically dominant, but like he was an emotional leader. Mm-hmm. When you're missing those glue guys, a lot of times the discipline also starts to fade too because the those guys also demanded excellence out of their peers. And people are like, oh, Zane, you don't know what you're talking about. These things don't matter. I mean, but they do, right? Leadership matters and experience matters and all of these things when you lose all of that you, it shows and i think that that's another reason why uh you talk about like drops as well you know debo is good for one or two drops a game that he are the news and that's that's far too many for a number one receiver like he's a number one receiver like let's let's be honest like i think that he's proven that and i'm so happy about that he's honestly he was always my favorite receiver since he came here that the 49ers had even after drafting IU but it's just that they just played such disjointed football and I, I still don't know why, but it's one of those things where it it just kind of like if it's messy practices, it kind of carries over to the, the games or if it's just not attention to detail, it carries over to games. Like it's just too much of that happening. Maybe it's also one of those things where they, a lot of these guys got success really quickly, like that were drafted in 2018, 2019 and brought, brought in here after that 2017 purge. They saw success immediately in that 2019 season. They're like, all right, cool. This is what it's going to be like. And they got it too early. And maybe they're complacent now at this point and not willing to do the work. Who knows, right? These are all theories. But it's just to me, I think that all of these things are not easily fixable because they take time and effort and like an, a full off season, for example, to fix. And they don't, they don't have that kind of time. right
0: So another stat I wanted to touch on that I thought was kind of crazy. Traditionally under Kyle Shanahan, the Niners aren't very good in the red right? They're usually lower in mm-hmm. red zone. This year, they're fantastic. This year, they're first in the NFL. But I really mm-hmm. looked into these red zone stats, and there's some, there's some stuff, stuff to talk about here. So the Niners have been in the red zone 19 times. They're 15 of 19, which means they've scored touchdowns in 15 and 19 tries in the red zone. It's 79% that's the best in the NFL, which Niners have always struggled mm-hmm. with that, so that's awesome, right? But 19 is the fourth lowest appearances in the red zone. So they haven't been there that much. I was really looking at these red zone appearances. First thing, well, I was kind of surprised went, like, Oh, they have this great red zone percentage. Garoppolo is nine of 19, 47% completion percentage in the red zone. That completion percentage is the second worst in the NFL. Only Daniel mm-hmm. Jones is lower. So that's not good. Jimmy's got four touchdown passes. You're like, Oh, great. Well, to put that in context, Stafford has, a, has a 18. <laughs> So, Jimmy has four red zone touchdown p- passes. Matthew Stafford has 18 in the red zone. Um, but positives for Jimmy. He has three, three rushing attempts and three touchdowns. Obviously great. And he has not thrown an interception. So, th- those are the pluses there. I looked at Lance, too. Lance is two of four in the red zone. He's thrown for one touchdown. And they actually haven't been two. or I'm sorry, he's thrown for two touchdowns but they actually haven't been too good running with Lance in the red zone. He's got four carries for just seven yards and just one touchdown. So they've actually been better running with Jimmy in the red zone than Lance, which is crazy. Uh, Debo has the most targets in the red zone. They've completed four passes to him. He has two scores, and he's also run for a touchdown, two carries for 13 yards. So thought that those were interesting stats, but here's what blew me away as I was doing my research on this. Are you, re- are you ready for this? I don't even know if your mind can handle this. It's so ridiculous, okay? I'm it's looking weird. at red zone targets um, for the Niners this year. and I don't see George Kittle's name. I'm like, well, is it because he's on IR? It's not in here. Looking at the NFL, well, other players were on IR are in here. Going back and looking, looking. He doesn't have a red zone target this year in four games. Going back to last season, well, how many did he have last year? You know how many he had last year in eight games? Three. Wow. Three red zone targets in eight games. Now, going back to 2019, he had 16 red zone targets, which was only seven less than the leader. He was involved then, and we know Kittle doesn't mm. score a lot of touchdowns. But they've thrown to him in the red zone three times in the last 12 games. That is inexcusable. Wow. I couldn't believe wow. it. I, I'm going through it, and I'm like, this isn't right. I mean, I must have re- gone through it eight times. And if somebody, I don't know, I still don't believe it. So if somebody thinks I'm wrong, let me know, but I don't think I am. I definitely know it was just three in 2020, and there was nothing this year. Mm-hmm. So you have your best player, a blue-chip tight end, and you've thrown him three times in the red zone? And Don't tell me, well, they need him to block. Other teams get their best players the ball. Don't give me any excuses. He is your best player. And I, maybe if you want to argue Debo's, Debo's been so dynamic this year, you want to argue Debo's your best player, fine. Kittle has been your best player, and he's a blue-chip tight end inexcusable to get him just three, tar- three three red zone targets other teams wow. put the ball in their best player's hands what do you think they're saying in kansas city oh travis kelsey has got to do other things we're not going to throw the ball to him give me a break <laughs> three red zone targets for your your best player in 12 games that has to change has to change we talk about what they need to do moving forward with those other things you gotta you gotta stop leaving him into blocking and get, get the damn ball in his hands please
1: he gets a a target every four games in the red zone?
0: That's Can ridiculous. You believe it? Like three targets in the last one. I didn't even go back I don't know when his last two thousand and nineteen red zone target was. I just saw that he had sixteen. But I know I know for uh, sure going back to two thousand and twenty he that, he has three freaking targets in the red zone. Three in twelve games. There's, he only has two touchdowns. there's no way.
1: There's no way that a, uh, the opposition takes him away to that extent where he can't even right. be targeted. There's no that's way ridiculous. Like that's not that, that that just doesn't like Look, if Kyle Shanahan is is the offensive genius that everybody says he is, you gotta at least scheme something up for him. At least scheme up a target for him. Like it's not like look, people will blame this. I, I know exactly where the blame is going to go. Right? I know this already when we when we talk about this. But beyond that, you got to be able to scheme something up for him. Like he is he is. I would say you know before Debo's emerges this year, he was your best player. And if you can't at least Scheme up a throw for him, like a like getting out of the pocket a bootleg and a throw or some sort of like short even a screen pass take a screen and and if you're at the if you're at the nine yard line throw a screen if you can if see if you can run over people for five yards six yards i mean that count the, the, the funny thing is al like we're not I'm talking about you know near the goal line and the red zone obviously like you don't necessarily have to be near the goal line to get a target and the fact that like you're you could even be on the 19 yard line right despite Since that I'm he's not getting right, targets that's all it is, yeah exactly. Yeah. You could be at the 15 yard line. He's not getting targets even there. Like I just, this is, this to me is really an indictment of Kyle Shanahan. It's like, you can't, you can't scheme anything open for him at that point. And really like, even if it's, even if it's a jump ball, even if it's something, no matter what it is, like a handoff, like he likes those little kittle jet sweeps and stuff. You can't give him the ball. Like I just, I just don't understand. And it's, the over-reliance on one player, I mean, I would like to see who has the bulk of the targets at that point, like whether it's spread out or whether it's like one guy, whether it's like Debo or if it's something, somebody else, but they tend to rely too much on one player. Maybe it's, it's the trust that the quarterback has or lack of trust in other players, but like you George freaking kid, like you not trust him. Right. So I think that in itself, you know, if you don't get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, you're most likely not going to win. Like you can't just rely on role players to take you the entire distance. And if Kittle is just blocking there, and he's just a blocking asset there near the near the red zone, or in the red zone, you have to be able to free him up and, and have somebody else do that role so that Kittle can be freed up. You can't just have him operate primarily as a blocker because he's it's it's a terrible disservice to hit the rest of his skill set. And you know I don't know if that's going to change with Trey at quarterback because. How many quarterbacks have they gone through since since 2019, right? And and none of them can mm-hmm. get him the ball in the red zone. Or I would even like to see like how many plays were actually schemed up for Kittle in the red zone, where where the quarterback had to move off. Uh, it's just yeah, it's just one of those weird oddities, Al. That it feels like they use him only between the
0: 20s, but but not inside the red zone at all. And I don't know why right. that, why that is. That's really interesting. A Kittle's not a contested catch guy. That's not his strength, you know. But no. again, like you said, scheme him, find ways to get him the ball. My favorite, mm-hmm. my favorite thing with 49ers fans, not, a, I don't know, I'm not saying every 49ers fans, just some 49ers fans, they'll say, Al, uh, Kyle Shannon can scheme anyone open. And then they'll say, well, Al, nobody's open. <laughs> like, it's like, what, what, which one is it? it? Is scheme anybody open or is nobody open? Can he not scheme Kittle open? Like, wh- what is it? So that's something they have to, again, Moving forward, you got to get the ball in his hands. Now, someone they have gotten the ball in his hands and I'm really excited about is Elijah Mitchell, and I don't think he's getting nearly as enough national credit as this dude should. What he's done so far has been pretty amazing, man. He's the only NFC running back with three 100-yard games so far this season. His, he has five, five runs of 20 yards or more, and the only person who has more than that is Nick Chubb, and there's three people mm-hmm. tied with him on that as well. Um, can I find that really quick? Yeah. So he's got five runs of 20 plus yards tying him for the second most with Lamar Jackson, Damian Harris, and Jonathan Taylor, and only Chubb has more with six. So he's had just a terrific season so far. Um, he's run the ball really, really well. He's been the lead back, obviously for the Niners and people listen. I love Raheem Mostert. And I think when he's healthy, he's such a dynamic player, but people were saying to me, well, Al, part of the reason they're struggling in the offense is Mostert isn't there. Mm -hmm. No, that has nothing to do with it. He's a good player and he's good for the system, but most of it is like 1,100 yards in his entire career. Like, it's not like he was Frank Gore who the offense went through with him. You know, he had a great, he had a legendary NFC championship game. He's good when he plays, but the offense is not struggling because of him. The offense should be able to run the ball anyway. And Mitchell's come in and done a really good job. And one of the Mm -hmm. most underrated things I think this season is going to be the return of Jeff Wilson Jr. There is not talk about Mm -hmm. underrated. In Wilson's three starts last year, okay, he rushed for 371 yards on 59 attempts, which is 6.28, 6.28 yards per carry. He scored six total TDs, four rushing and two receiving in three games. Overall, he led the team in rushing last year. He had 600 yards, 4.8 per carry, and he scored 10 total touchdowns. Wilson's a beast. He runs yeah. hard. And I think it's, you know, Mitchell's been taking the, most of the carries now. I, I think when Wilson comes back, it'll be more of a timeshare. I don't know how they're going to do that but do not underestimate the return of Jeff Wilson Jr. A lot of big catches. Um, they'll throw to him on third down. He's a hard runner. He scores a ton of touchdowns, a ton of touchdowns. So with that 2-1-2 two, two punch, the running game, I think it's going be, to be a strength of this team, and I want to see them lean on it, especially against the Cardinals team who can't stop the run. I don't know if you watched the Thursday night game, but A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones ran right through them. A.J. Dillon yep. especially. Dillon ran right through them. I was really impressed with him. And the Niners, if Mm -hmm. they have Wilson back this week, just hit, run run him right at that defense. That's the way Mm -hmm. I feel about it. And I'll tell you what, those two backs saying, I'm really excited about. I think running backs are kind of a dime a dozen. You know, I don't think you need to pay a running back $10 million a year, unless you have like, I don't know, maybe look at Dalvin Cook or Derek Henry, but um, I'm excited about what Wilson and Mitchell are going to bring to this team moving forward. I really am.
1: I've always been a huge Jeff Wilson Jr. fan. Like I felt, I always felt like that was the kind of X factor. And And I really do feel like, in the Super Bowl, when they kind of bottled up the run and Mostert wasn't getting as much running space as they could, I felt like Jeff Wilson Jr. should have should have probably gotten the ball a little bit more, uh, especially in the passing game because their linebackers could not cover the pass. But I, I think that he adds that dynamic of being able to catch out of the backfield that a lot of these running backs, they're, they're not... Mitchell kind of can, like we saw in a little bit. He, he has the ability to, to kind of do it. But besides check, like it's not it's not really a big thing, like throwing the ball to the running backs. Like it's check usually typically gets the bulk of the passes thrown his way. But I think that like, you know, in terms of you getting the ball to the actual uh running back and in his hands in space, like Jeff Wilson Jr. is one of those guys that can get open. So really excited about him coming back in with you on that. Elijah Mitchell, he has that ability to have that home run breakaway speed. They found him you know, in the fifth round, which is where they find all, all of their gems, apparently. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's been a fantastic pick. Been really disappointed in Trey Sermon because I thought, I thought that we would get a lot more out of him. I just think that maybe it's a Kyle Shanahan doghouse thing with, you know, the IU thing is similar yeah. to that. But really like when it comes down to it, when you add in, for example, like we, we keep looking into Trey, but like we add in Trey's skill set with the ability of Elijah Mitchell, who is a home run hitter, to be able to either hand the ball to or fake a handoff to and, and pull it out and throw it. All of that stuff freezes the defense and they have to respect that. And when you add a safety outlet, like Jeff Wilson jr. Who's sure-handed who's experienced, who can score that adds another element to this red zone problem, right? That they can, that, that will alleviate that. So I think that hopefully that gets better with Jeff Wilson jr. In there, if he can, if he can get on sooner rather than later, I believe, as of the recording of this show, like next week they're gonna open up the practice window for Jeff Wilson Jr., I believe.
0: I think he did practice today.
1: Oh, do you practice today?
0: He practice um, today. My man might be back this weekend. The whole it week. was Greenlaw that's next week. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it was Greenlaw. It's, it's next Greenlaw that's next week.
1: But again, like you're you're starting to get these troops kind of rallied back and like guys are coming back, Kittle's back, Jeff Wilson Jr.'s back, Greenlaw will be coming back next week. So I think that despite the injury to both both safeties now. Despite injuries to those guys, I think that, you know, really they have a chance to kind of put something together here. And also, Al, I, I really want to really talk about the, the safety injuries. I know we're kind of pivoting here, but Jimmy Warden and Jakowski tarter both injured again. And it's one of those things where when we've talked about this before and when they're both on the field, they're both difference makers, right? They're very good players. And based on how their career started, like we didn't think that they would be much of anything. But they've turned out to be very high quality NFL starters. I wouldn't say they're superstars by any means, but I would say that when you when they're not on the field, it makes a difference. The problem is that is that throughout the course of their careers, they haven't been on the field enough. Ward has kind of gotten better in recent seasons. He's played a little bit more, and and he's kind of been able to kick that injury bug. But Tart, mm-hmm. it just seems like he's he's always hurt and he can never stay on the field, which is which is sad because I I love watching them play together. But I just, like, I, I just don't know how much you can continue counting on them going forward if they're, they're
0: always constantly hurt. Yeah, my thing with Tart is injured players get injured, right? He's yeah. always injured, constantly. And he, he's really talented. He, he really is. Um, but he has missed so many games since 2017. He's never on the field. So he's, he's on IR now, and he, he'd missed tw- he had missed 28 of a possible 64 games from 2017 to 2020. So, you know, at some point, look, he's a good player, but time to move on. It just is time to yeah. move on it. And who and I love the way he plays. He's like a missile out there. So mm-hmm. hopefully again, he's with somebody who can play the season and get better and better and better, but we'll see, you know, as, as he's out there more and film gets on him, he is just a rookie. And then with Ward being out, we'll see what that does. It, it's, it's, it's going to be an issue. I would think so. We'll, we'll, we'll see from there but I agree with you it's frustrating when those guys get hurt it, it really especially with Tart because he, ha- he has so much so much potential and he's such a good player alright Zane I wanted to hit on uh, this Charles O'Minahue who the, I don't even know what I said the name who the Niners traded for I didn't know who the hell he was I mean I had heard his name or whatever but I didn't know anything about him and it's funny to go through Twitter <laughs> a trade goes through you're like who's this guy and all of a sudden everybody's a freaking expert on who he is which is kind of common <laughs> I'm sure everybody's watched so much Texans film and games, right? That they know, of right? of course. But
1: we talking? About? Hey, man, we have plenty of guys who watch the film, right? That's the, the, the all 22 Warriors, right? I like to yeah, call them. They like, just watch watch film, film watching and hot takes, right? That's what they do
0: on a Wednesday <laughs> night. Why wouldn't they be watching Charles and Mini Who film from from three weeks? Of course, back, I, that, right? that's exactly
1: course. the first thing I would let think. Let me that they, randomly yeah, exactly. check
0: this guy out. <laughs> So I had no idea who he was. I did go to school on him a little bit just to read and see what other people said. So he's 6'5", he's 280. He's, he, he's a long, he's long, right? Long player. Mm-hmm. Um, he has 16 pressures apparently this year. Um, and he doesn't have any sacks this year, though. There's 16 pressures. I did see a tweet that his pressure rate was better than Nick Bosa. And I was like, what the hell are we doing? But the person who tweeted mm-hmm. it, I'm not surprised. But um, mm-hmm. I, I was like, at what point? Like, come on. Come on, you didn't heard of this guy three three days ago, and now you're you're saying his press rate is better than Nick Bosa, whatever. Uh, and maybe it is, unless snaps, whatever. Anyway, he's got seven careers career sacks. Seems like a depth piece to me. They are going to have him for the next year and a half. He's under contract next year. I was listening to Haberman and Middlekoff, and um, Middlekoff said that he had reached out to some scouts that he knows, and what one guy said that he was an underachiever, in a typical Texas guy, whatever that means. I don't know what that means, but that's what one scout had told him. Another scout had told him that he was a big, strong, hard-charging rusher who could maybe succeed in the wide nine. And also that he's not great against the run. So maybe it's something they can, you know, they haven't had much success outside of Bosa, um, who I'll get to in a second, who's had some outstanding numbers this year. But So maybe he can kick outside, Armstead kicks inside. Where right? I like Armstead inside. I don't like when he's outside. I like it inside. Um, and he can help a little bit. Um, we'll see. Again, that's just what I read up on. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know anything about him. I don't. I watched a few highlights. This is what I heard and read. Like, with anything, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see how he does in this system.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's funny because I was looking up Nick Bosa's stats, and the 49ers are near the bottom of the league in pressures, and I think that for a defensive line that boasts four separate first-round picks, well, I mean, Kim Law's not playing, but but four separate first-round picks, that's not nearly enough in a defensive line that has Nick Bosa on that. Although Nick Bosa is doing his part. He's got seven sacks this year. And Al, I had to look twice at that. I'm like, man, that has to be the, the quietest seven sack season or half season I've ever seen in my life. Just because it just seems like Bosa's the only only guy that's getting there. D Ford is hurt again. Javon Kinlaw's done for the year. Right. He's hurt again. He has knee problems. Surprise, surprise. That, uh, by the way, as long as we're griping about stuff, they knew that Javon Kimla had knee problems before drafting him. And people will say, oh, it's because of the, the injury in the Cowboys game last year. But you, but you knew he had bad knees before drafting him. You knew that he had, he had arthritic knees and you still drafted him. Zane, so this,
0: I, I just. This, I'm sorry, not to interrupt you, but and not to go off on a tangent because we're talking about this draft, McMahon, to being a pedicismic disappointment if his knees yeah. were shot. Yeah, it's that's concerning to me. And look again, we'll see. I'm not going to say we're not going to know for another year. We'll see. But if his knees are shot, and he was a guy who brought in to replace Buckner, and you're drafting another D lineman next year, awful, awful. Yeah, sorry,
1: sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. And on top of that, the IU thing, right? And then Trey Sermon, and then uh, Trey Sermon this year, and then Aaron Banks this year, and the last, yeah, the last two, like the, the top half of the draft, and obviously trade this year as well, but. The last two drafts, the top half of the draft is just is just so iffy right now. But again, it's very early, so regardless, like the, they should be getting more pressure with that group. Like Samson Ebukam has given you nothing; he's given you literally nothing. Yeah, and yeah. he was one of those guys that we hoped that would come in here from the Rams. Like you were like, all right, cool, put him out opposite Nick Bosa, and he's going to be really, really good. Like he'll have you know half a dozen sacks. He's yet to do anything. And the reason why the Niners traded for another pass rusher is because because of that, because they're not getting anything opposite Bosa, like Jordan Willis is coming back from his suspension, and all this stuff. but we know that like Arden key was, was hoping to get more work and we were hoping to get more out of him. But I, I just think that that group, that D line out, that's a big reason why you could say the defense is underperformed because the D line is just not, they're just not getting there. They're not getting home. And I don't know whether it's because like Armstead is, he's getting the pressures. He's just not getting home. like,
0: it's he rarely,
1: it gets seems old. like the that's, that's true. Aside from the Buckner year where he was playing beside Buckner and Bosa's yeah. his rookie year, he he has pressures and that's been the theme out of his career. It's, it's funny. Cause you, now that you say that that's what I remember about him and we can look back at the stats and I'll show it too, but he gets pressures. He just doesn't get home. It's he's just good enough to pressure the QB. So the QB escapes. Right. And I think that, you know, in that sense as well, like they've been, they've been kind of a disappointment and, and this will hopefully give him a shot in the arm. But it's not gonna solve all of their pass rush problems, right? Because that he gets he gets pressure. But again, it's the same same symptoms that the rest of the 49ers are suffering, because like from Bosa is that they get pressure, they just don't get home. And it was the same thing in 2018. I don't know if you remember. The same thing in 2018, same thing last year as well. That they would get pressure, they would they would just would not be able to get home.
0: So Armstead in his career, he's been on the team one, two, three, four, five, six. This is his seventh year on the team. His sack totals have been Two, two and a half, one and a half, three, ten. Which is the contract here? Three and mm-hmm. a half. And now he has one in seven games. So I think he's a very good player. He's a good overall player. Um, but the sacks, yeah, he doesn't. He not get them. He does not Other yeah. than that one ten sack year in the contract here with Buckner, he doesn't get them. It, it, it's mm-hmm. just really that simple. And good player, but. Not somebody who's going to get home a lot. And you mentioned the Niners only Bosa, so Bosa's got the seven sacks, and Bosa's also tied for the league lead in tackles for loss with eleven. He's had mm-hmm. a tremendous year. But everybody else, Bosa seven sacks, D Ford three. Ford is you know he makes the cameos, and I guess he does well when he makes his cameos. Cantavius Street two, and then DJ Jones, Marcel Harris, Eric Armstead, Ibukam one. They're right. They're not. They're not getting there. They're not getting home. Yeah. Um, other other than Bosa. And look, that's something else that, you know, again, as you go forward, pressures are great. And some people say pressures are better than sacks. I guess, depending on what comes out of that pressure, it could be. But look, the bottom line is at some point, other guys besides Bosa have to get home. They do. Mm-hmm. So hopefully something, may, may, maybe um, this new pickup will help. Maybe Jordan Willis coming back will help. I don't know. I, he play, He played pretty well for the team last year. Um, but they don't really have anybody else. It's funny, just all this, all the, I they put in this defensive line, right? It's so deep, this, that, and the other yeah. thing. And they don't have anybody else to rush, 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 besides Bosa. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's frustrating, man. It's, it's like next year, are they probably, are they going to need another DN? Probably. Are they going yeah. to need another defensive tackle? Maybe. And that's just crazy when you think about that. DJ Jones is a free agent. So it really is just, just, I don't know kind of frustrating when it comes to that we'll have to we'll have to see how the how they how they progress i'm trying to see where they are on sacks here this season um i gotta look that up so they have the niners have let's see where they were. the rams lead the league with 25 sacks the niners have 16 mm-hmm. which is um 20 something it's near the bottom third of the league and they're they have a pressure percentage here they do their press percentage is 22.6, also in the bottom third of the league. So they're 22.6 yeah. and the Bills lead the NFL with 31.7. So yeah, I guess, I don't know, maybe I thought the D line was playing better than it really is. I guess it's not playing super well, right? In terms of what you'd expect. Yeah. Well, you can tell. There's, yeah. yeah, you can
1: tell. You can tell that they're not they're not the same as they used to be in People, I think that people were looking at Bosa and they're like, oh, well, he's not the same. The the difference is not Nick Bosa. Like Nick Bosa is doing what he's doing, but the difference is that pieces around him are not, they're literally not doing anything. Like Mm -hmm. nobody's doing anything in terms of pressuring the quarterback. So in that sense, you know, in in 2019, you had Buckner who had almost 10 sacks. You had Armstead who had 10. You had Bosa who had nine and D Ford had like six, right? So just that group you know, they, they accounted for almost 30 sacks themselves at 30 sacks themselves. Right. So really when, when it comes down to it, like that group was supposed to be the group that carried this defense and, and they're not able to. And I think that they're pressing right now, like that Justin Fields play where fourth and one, it was just so bad. It was so bad. And I'm glad they won the game because that would have been an all time low light, but Justin Fields just made them look silly, like Armstead, and, and he's done this multiple times in his career, right? And I'm, not, I'm not picking exclusively on Armstead because it's on the entire defense, but like, it's just things like that. And when you don't have the success, you press, and I think that's what you're seeing with the Niners defense. However, they still won the game, right? So at least there's that. But I think that there are the, the larger problems that are at hand here.
0: All right, Zane, let's do predictions for this week. Cardinals, Niners, yep. huge game. They're all huge games mm-hmm. right now for the Niners. What is your prediction for Week 9? Are we assuming Kyler Murray plays or not? Um, I think right now we have to, right? I mean, I haven't said he's not. We could do both. I guess you could do both. Okay, I'm I'm hedging
1: here. <laughs> I'm gonna hedge here, and I'm going to say that if Kyler Murray plays. I don't know if they. I don't know if they can beat Arizona. Uh, I, I I said earlier that they could. I mean, I, it's a toss-up if Kyler Murray plays, and I, I'm going to say that they can squeak out. Like uh, Robbie gold is back this week, by the way. So Joey slides, not is no longer going to be missing extra points and easy chip shot field goals for them. So
0: uh, hey, he did pretty gold. He, His field goal percentage was pretty well, pretty good. I mean,
1: he was missing the easy ones. He was missing a lot of easy, like he was missing extra points in each game. it's just like, he, it's just, he did miss a
0: happen. couple extra points, but I think he was seven for eight for field goals. I think.
1: Uh, most of those are long distance as well. So I think that yeah. like, it's just too close. The extra point is too close for him.
0: Basically, that's they, what it was. If they can combine him and Gould somehow, maybe they'd, they'd be okay.
1: Exactly. Like keep two kickers, right? Have Gould kick the short ones and have Sly kick the long ones, right? They had that roster. <laughs> kick the long <laughs> but I, think that, I think that the Niners, uh, with, if they play Kyler Murray, I think they can still speak it out. And no, I'm not going to hedge. I'm going to say that whether or not Kyler Murray plays, I think the Niners will win. I think that this is a home game. They haven't won in Levi Stadiums in, in in over a year now, <laughs> in over twelve months. They're due. Okay. They're gonna they're gonna win. And they'll be four four. And we're gonna be talking about the Niners hopefully come back on this season. So I'm gonna say they're gonna win. And I'm gonna say they're gonna win. So they're gonna eke it out. And I'll say
0: twenty-four, twenty-one. I kinda have a feeling they're gonna win this game too. And I'm not confident in that, because I'm not confident in them, but I kinda have a feeling that they're gonna win this game only to prolong my suffering because what will happen <laughs> is they're going to win this game and then they're going to lose the Rams and then they're going to be the Jaguars going to be five and five and they're going to have this big game against the Vikings for who could be the last shitty team in the playoffs right like oh hey we're five and five they're five and five wherever the Vikings will be can they win that game and maybe they will win that game and go six and five and then everybody's going crazy right and then Russell Wilson comes back on December fifth and beats them because that's what he does. And they're six and six, but they're still alive, and they're just driving me crazy at this point because oh, they're still alive, but they're not really <laughs> alive. And Garoppolo is still playing, and Lance is getting no no run. And then they play the Bengals. Oh, we can beat the Bengals, but they don't. And they go six and seven. But then they beat the Falcons and they're seven and seven, and they're still alive because like everybody's seven and seven for that last playoff spot. And then they got to play the Titans, which they're gonna lose that game, and they're seven and eight, but they'll beat the Texans at eight and eight. And they're still alive going into the last week. And the Rams probably won't play anybody. And that's where they're going to be. So it's going to be a whole season of like win, lose, win, lose. We're in it. We're not in it. It's going to drive me freaking crazy. And I mean, if to listen to this Garoppolo shit all year and Lance won't play and it's just going to be the same thing. So they're going to go in the last game of the season. They're going to be eight and eight. Maybe they'll have a chance to win and they'll probably go eight and nine and lose, not make the playoffs and be a waste of year. Um, that's what I think is going to happen. So where am I going <laughs> with this? They're going to win this week. That's where I'm going with that. Can you tell I'm like okay. losing my mind at this point? I can't take <laughs> this shit anymore. I can't
1: take shit anymore. Man, it's so frustrating, but hey, that's okay. I mean, the first half of that game was so frustrating to watch. It's like, oh God, why, why are you so bad right now? And, you know, there, it was a tale of two halves and they're so wildly inconsistent. And right. it's interesting because right. a lot of times teams take on the personality of their head coach just like kind of organically, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the way that, they coach the game and and the way that they use their players and stuff. So each individual player has a personality. So I'm not saying they're copying their head coach and like they turn into their head coach, but I'm talking about the way that the games turn out and the team kind of like plays together as a cohesive unit. It it often mirrors their head coach. Like you'll see like their, their teams are coached by like calm, cool, you know, those teams, they're typically like, all right, cool. Like, you know, they're, they're more so calm, their teams like Seattle, like Coach Pete Carroll, always on the edge, always like you know, full of energy. All this stuff, willing to start stuff. That's how they are. And you look at how the Niners are, and Kyle Shanahan is just so wildly inconsistent as a head coach and as a play caller. Like he'll look great on the first fifteen plays of the game, and then for the next thirty plays, it'll just be like, "What are you doing? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you calling? Like, why are you? There's no rhythm to this game, or rhyme or reason to like what your what your play calls are." And the team mirrors that. I used to say that when Jim Harbaugh was here, those teams mirrored Jim Harbaugh, specifically like in the Super Bowl that they lost against the Ravens. Jim Harbaugh was so uptight. He was an right. uptight coach. And that team looked so tight to begin that game. And the looser team was the one that jumped on them. That was the Ravens. They jumped on them and the Niners didn't have enough time to get a comeback like because they, you know, they got the bearings too late. But I, I really feel like in some instances that the team will mirror what the head coach is. And recently the Niners have been wildly inconsistent. Cause I feel like wild, Kyle is also a wildly inconsistent head coach. Yeah. Uh, sometimes he's great. And sometimes like, you're just like, what are you doing? So it's just whatever Kyle shows up on Sunday whatever 40 under team shows up on Sunday. We'll, we'll
0: see. And you know, where I am in the Kyle play calling stuff. Like I'm tired of hearing like, Oh, Kyle's in a groove. Colin plays being a groove, being a head coach. That's where I need you to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. I know you call plays. I'm really overall not worried about your play calling. I'm worried about you being a head coach running the whole ship. So that's where I want to see you again. In group. Get in a group is a head coach. Turn the season around, get this team into the playoffs and let's see where they go from there. The next four or five years. Let's see. But um, we'll see Zane. We're going to see what happens in the next two weeks. It's going to tell a lot um, about what this team is and where this team is going and what the season is. We'll see. It's um, going to be a really yeah. interesting couple of weeks, big games, two really big games. So, Also game balls. We never did. We never did that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> game forget. balls. I mean, how can you not give it to Debo Samuel who changed? Yeah. Uh, who I really think yeah. might've changed the season. He's the first 49ers wide receiver since Anquan Bolden in 2013 to win an offensive player of the week. I, I just, to me, he's, he's,
1: you know what? You know what, Al James, Richard Garoppolo gets my
0: game ball. Okay? For a good half of football. Gonna... Are you going to give him good half, half of football? Ball?
1: I'll give him half. I'll give him deflated half, game ball. Half a game I'll ball. I'll give him deflated okay. game
0: ball. Okay.
1: All right. So half, half of <laughs> a, a good football game and he gets my game ball. Cause you know why? I think this will probably be the last time I'll ever be able to hand out one to him. Uh, otherwise, Elijah Mitchell would have gotten it if this stupid quarterback situation didn't happen. But just as a symbolic thing it was a symbolic win. Possibly Jimmy Garoppolo's last ever win as a 49ers quarterback. And possibly the last time he ever plays in Chicago uh, as, as an NFL quarterback, starting quarterback. He got the win. It was a cool story. I'm taking it for what it is. I'm not looking ahead and saying, like, oh, he's going to win a bunch of games. I'm just saying, on Sunday, it was cool to, for him. He won his first game as a starter in Chicago and may have won his last game as a starter in Chicago for the 49ers. So, uh, he'll get my game ball for that. Otherwise, in normal circumstances, it would be Elijah Mitchell. So, yeah, I'm not crazy. I know Mitchell had a great game. He should. He was a FedEx round player of the week. He should get the game ball, but the sentimental choice wins here, and it's,
0: and it's uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Saying <laughs> you love Jimmy. You do.
1: I love whoever plays quarterback, dude. I bought, I bought, the funny thing is is that people will say that. And I spent almost $200 of my own money. The day that the jerseys came out to buy a Trey Lance throwback jersey, because I support the quarterback of the 49ers, whoever it is. I, I, and I gladly rock that trade Jersey every weekend. I'm actually wearing the trade Jersey. Now I'm not the Jimmy one, but it's,
0: it's been hard for me to get behind um, players like I used to. The last favorite player I probably had was Patrick Willis. Ever since I started doing this, I just look at it all differently. I don't know. It's like a yeah. And I think thing, I know, think like yeah. There there are reasons. I there are definitely yeah. Like I know there are reasons for that, but I don't you know. know. I mean, there's guys like Jeff Wilson Jr. Right? Awesome guy. Yeah. One of my favorite interviews. So like I'll always mm-hmm. root for him. You know what I mean? He was really cool. So but like having favorite players like I used to. I just I can't do it. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. I guess not that we're cool or like, a, but just like when you get into this and in the, the curtain gets pulled back, you look at things differently. I, I don't know. So um, yeah, it's tough for me. To, I don't know if I'll ever buy another jersey again. Maybe like Montana, right? Um, hopefully, yeah. He's one of the people I never want to meet. You know, so you have some people like again. I've met yeah. so many athletes. That like I come Frank Gore was cool Joe Torrey was cool mm-hmm. those were people that I met that were kind of like oh this is surreal you know what I mean but um, mm-hmm. I don't want to meet Joe Montana I'm a big Pearl Jam fan I don't want to meet any better I just I just don't want to meet those yeah. guys you know I kind of want to stay yeah. fandom and in and, and looking at them from the outside looking at I don't want to meet Don Mattingly just let me be fa- let me be a fan I don't want to meet you um, yeah just let me hold you to that standard that whatever whatever is in my head so.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we've all heard the stuff about Joe, right? now he is like in person. It's like, I don't want. I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear like it's funny. Because I would want to. I would want to meet Steve Young because I think it would be a great conversation. Yeah, he's so enthusiastic about the team. I would want to meet the goat because you know he's so enthusiastic about the team and like it'd be cool yeah. just to, like you know meet him. He signed. He signed a digital picture for me. By the way, it's kind of funny and kind of cool. <laughs> oh, like really? The future of, auto, future of autograph sessions. There was like a, a virtual autograph session. I sent him a picture and he signed it. And he sent it back to me, and I was like, "Hey, Jerry Rice, quote unquote, signed this picture for me. Awesome." <laughs> he was sitting there with the tablet, and like he was signing, like he was signing pictures with his tablet. So he did sign it. It was just digital, though.
0: <laughs> Frank, Frank Gore was one person who did not disappoint. That was one of my favorite players, and I met him, and he was such an awesome person that it made me mm-hmm. like him more. Like that was one of the things that, like, when you do this, and again, for and sometimes you get the the, per, the curtain pulled back, and it's it can be disappointing. But Frank Gore was even nicer than i could imagine he would have been and that's again i always try to tell that story because so many people look up to frank Gore, and i can tell you he is an awesome guy he was so cool when Mm -hmm. i interviewed him when he was with the bills just the coolest guy in the world and i can't stress that enough and anytime that there's players like that that you look up to and you see like oh wow this guy's actually an awesome person that's pretty cool so frank Gore, a plus person a plus
1: I, I would say that about DJ too. DJ Jones, when I when I met him at that open practice, like years oh yeah, Shannon's first year, really cool guy. And you know his dad too. His dad's really cool too. Like just a, like a family overall. Like they're just so cool.
0: They're so nice. They're really nice people. Yeah, so work DJ with Jones a lot on the barbecue sauce stuff that we promote for them. Yeah, they're a great family. And he was the he was yeah, the first player we ever had on the show. DJ Jones.
1: Yeah, that's yep. DJ was the first player we ever had. Yeah, yep. and and he's he's been awesome ever since. And he's just a, a really great dude. I hope he can stay with the team. And you're not going to, you're not going to, people, I mean, I don't know how you'll feel about this. People may not like this, but in the small interaction, like the five minutes that I had with him, Jed York was really, really nice. It was really
0: nice. Oh, Prague was awesome. When I met Prague, I called him Prague. I don't know if I told the story. I was like, you're Prague," And he was like Prague. And I'm like, what? And he's like Prague. And you know me, I'm like, oh, sorry, dude. I like hit him on the arm, you know? And he's like, he sat and talked to me for like five, 10 minutes. And I would like, mispronounce his name he could have been like get out of here you weirdo he was really really nice he was yeah so again again, you know sometimes we can get on him for things but he was super nice when i met him too so you know i believe it
1: yeah like these front office guys like the the ownership group like yeah like when i talked to jen we were talking about like it was it was we were just about to have our daughter so i was just like talking about the kids and stuff and like it was just like you know talking about being a dad and everything like that and like he wasn't like you know, uh, the the CEO of a billionaire or a billion dollar entity, right? He was just like another dad, and was kind of it was kind of cool to talk to him. Hear hear that stuff from him, so more of a human side. And and yeah. uh, you know, he does he does you know stupid stuff from time to time, but I mean, like there is a human side there that's kind of kind of cool to talk to, to be very honest. But I mean, again, like I talked to him for like five you know five seven minutes. After that, the uh, interaction was over. So who knows what happened after after loss or Thanksgiving you, game loss, you, right? Where'd you meet Chad? So that same day in the open practice, like I was talking oh. to um, Tim Kawakami and and uh, you know Jed, like I was talking, like facing facing the right and like Tim was there and like Jed York was like on my left and like I was like oh hey how's it going? He literally like stood right beside me and like oh how's it going? Then, you know like how's how's parent life? Because I think his son was like a little bit younger then and, and mm-hmm. was talked about like you know, parents and he's like do you have any? I'm like oh not yet, but like you know, we're gonna have a daughter soon. He's like oh that's awesome and kids are the best and yeah bunch of uh, parents speak.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Did you tell him that you you work that you have the show and stuff?
1: Um, yeah, he asked me. He asked me. So where, he's like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm from Forty web zone with the Know How Posse podcast." He's like, "Oh, cool, awesome. Uh, thanks for coming out." I'm like, "Oh, thanks for having oh. us <laughs> and all these fans."
0: Yeah, <laughs> but he didn't yeah, say you worked, uh, you Work with that asshole, Al Sacco. Did you? did you? <laughs> you didn't say that.
1: Name, name name drop name drop you and be like, "Oh yeah, I know that guy."
0: Yeah, he'd be like, uh, "I don't um, like that pretty. guy." You may not.
1: Have. <laughs> Man, got a feeling. Quick, is, is the, uh, it's the time of year, Al, really quick before we sign off here, uh, where, I mean, as of, you know, the week of the recording of the show, we, we had all four major sports on. And congratulations, by the way, the Atlanta Braves for their first World Series championship. You know, Al, the last time the Braves won the World Series, who was the Super Bowl champion? Yeah, it was the Niners, right? Cause yeah, exactly. No,
0: wait, Braves yeah. won in
1: 95. So that, that January, the Niners had already won the Super Bowl. Okay. So in the January '95, the Niners have won, and then October okay. of '95, the, the Braves won. So, okay, hey man, we'll do it reverse this time. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's not gonna happen. But uh, you're at the magical time of the year where all four sports were active, and I think that's such a cool time of the year, and I wish it overlapped more. But now baseball is over. I thought it was a great series. I love seeing the Astros lose because they're a garbage cheating team, and it's awesome to see a team like that go down. But uh, super happy for for the Braves and their fans. Um, Greg Maddox is my favorite pitcher of all time. So for me, it's like, like I've always had an affinity for the Braves because of that. I met Greg Maddox. Did I ever tell
0: you that story? You met Greg Maddox? Yeah. So when I, I covered the couple hall of fame inductions and actually everybody Uh was like, Greg Maddox is pretty arrogant. And um, granted, I met him on the best day, one of the best days of his life, but I went up to him after (laughs) and I shook his hand and he looked me in the eye and he was like, thank you. And he was super nice. Um, and I was around him the next year he did Ozzie, Ozzie Smith's baseball camp. Um, and again, he seemed pretty nice. He he seemed okay. Um, but a couple of the other writers had been like, yeah, he could be a little bit arrogant, but he was super nice when I met him. So
1: I'll believe, I'll believe your take over anybody. So that, you know, the the thing in my mind about like being a fan, right? I don't want to ever meet Greg Maddox. Right. I just want to like admire from (laughs) afar.
0: Yeah, him and it was when Glavin and Cox all got in the ear, and I I talked with him and Glavin just briefly, and they were both super nice. They were really really cool guys. That's awesome.
1: Tom yeah. Glavin seems like a really cool dude too. He's also, nice I guy. think it's really weirdly ironic that the Braves won the World Series for the first time since '95, and the commentator was the color guy was John Smoltz, right? Like with Joe Buck. All right.
0: So I think that's that's a pretty cool uh, you know full circle there. Do you remember that's, Do you remember Ron Gant who used to play for the Braves? I loved Ron Gant, dude. Okay. That guy me, was a machine. A funny story about Ron Gant to keep you on here. I mean, actually, I got a picture of him and me over here. So uh-huh. I'm walking and this was the first time I had ever covered the Hall of Fame. And I walked in and I'm, I'm looking at this guy and I just, he looked familiar to me, right? Kind of looked at him like I know who he is. And he looked at me like I looked familiar to him, right? So he was like, mm-hmm. what's going on? I'm like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? And I'm like, I have no clue who this person is. So after <laughs> they do all like the interviews and stuff, we go over and there's like these tables that you sit right at. So I'm walking Mm -hmm. over and I see this guy again. And he's looking at me again and I'm looking at him. So I'm like, I'm just gonna go with this. I don't know who he is. I'm like, what's up, man? How you doing? He's like, good, how are you? Said, like, what's up? Gave him five, like, gave him dap, gave him a hug. Good to see you. He's like, good to see you. And I'm like, I don't know who the F this person is at all. So (laughs) he's looking at me like, like, who is this guy? And I'm looking at him like, who is this guy? So somebody comes over and they're like, hey, Ron, blah, blah, blah. can you sign this? My guy's a fan. And I'm like, holy shit, that's Ron Gant. I'm like, he doesn't, He has no idea who maybe he knows another pale bald guy. It's not me. But I'm like, he has no clue who I am. But I'm like, I'm just gonna go with it at this point. So I'm sitting at the table behind him. I'm like, so Ron, what are you doing now? Where do you work? And he's like, Oh, I work for this Atlanta TV station. I'm like, cool, man. Yeah, well, tell me about it. I'm like, it's great to see you. And he's like, Yeah, you too. Totally playing it. He's yeah, I can tell he's looking at me the whole time, like, who the hell is this guy? He had no clue who I was, but I just ran with it, man. And we hung out for a little bit. We took a picture together. And to this day, he's probably like, Who is that pale bald dude? He had Dude, no clue, that's so funny. I just <laughs> ran with him, man. But again, he was, again, he was super awesome. Super awesome guy. Really cool. Um, has a pale, bald friend that isn't me, but he thought it was.
1: So. <laughs> Zero Fs were given that day by Ron Gant or Al. Don't
0: one care. I Ron literally Gant went up Al. to him and, like, hugged him. <laughs> and, like, I'm just going to go with this. And he was, like, talked to me like we know each other for 20 years. It was great. So All-time, right?
1: Also, real quick, as long as we're on baseball, shout-out to Buster Posey, who's retiring this week. Shout-out yeah, to all one famer. of the best hall of famer through and through like he will never have to pay for a drink in the city of san francisco ever again lifer like he is the consummate pro and when you think about the the san francisco giants aside from like you know the, the old timers like willie mays and willie mccovey and bonds and all these guys that you associate with the giants like the new the newer sort of generation it's buster posey it's brandon crawford it's hunter pence it's these guys right like it's but Tim Lincecum, but specifically like Posey outlasted a lot of those guys. Besides, you know, besides Crawford, and I think that he, you know, did, based on like the hard work that you know the the blue collar stuff, the, the attitude that he brought to the game, like I think that he's going to be one of those guys that's beloved in this community. Like, you know, maybe not to the extent that Joe Montana was, because Joe did something you know that was mm. that was special. But like Steve Young, or you know, like Brian Young, or you know, like. Some of those guys, like we Clay Thompson, like around that level, like Steph Curry is kind of like, you know, an echelon of like Joe Montana to me. But like, you know, Clay Thompson or Draymond Green, like I think that he's going to be in that tier of, of beloved athletes in the Bay Area.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, good for him. He's had a great career and the Giants had a great run with him. So that, that's really cool to see. All right, yeah. Zane, we're out of here. Hopefully, we're going to have another victory podcast next week. Let's we'll see what happens. But until then, for Zane, this is Al. Get that out.